There is a lot happening at Netflix right now. A walkout, a very public firing, and a show that is an international ratings phenomenon. Let's start with the walkout. Last week, dozens of Netflix employees walked out of the streaming giant's headquarters in protest of the latest Dave Chappelle special, The Closer. And in Los Angeles, hundreds of protesters gathered in solidarity with the employees. If you haven't seen the special, it's a lot of Dave Chappelle talking about people's reactions to his previous comedy specials. Chappelle's been accused of making transphobic and homophobic comments before, and on this special, he pretty much doubled down. His supporters say it's just comedy, but protesters and their allies say those jokes lead to real-world harm for trans people, and they want Netflix to take some of the responsibility. This is all happening on the heels of the mega-success of Squid Game. The South Korean series is on track to be Netflix's biggest show ever. And if you haven't seen it yet, congratulations to you. You are probably among the last 10 people to actually be able to sleep in peace. The show is a dystopian drama in which poor, desperate people compete in deadly children's games for a life-changing amount of money. Turns out, those themes resonate with a lot of people. The series was Netflix's number one show in 94 countries. And of course, to bring Squid Game to the masses, it had to be translated. The series was subtitled in 31 languages and dubbed in 13. But Korean speakers on TikTok and Twitter have been calling out the inaccuracies in the English dub translation. And they say those inaccuracies are more than just grammatical mistakes. They misrepresent some huge moments in the show and they obscure the cultural context. Welcome to Pop Culture. I'm Bridget Armstrong. The Closer and Squid Game might not seem to have much in common, you know, other than being the most talked about things on Netflix right now. But they both represent big swings for Netflix, and it's not clear if they're going to be home run. Oh no! Take The Closer. Netflix is betting big on Dave Chappelle. They paid millions of dollars to have his specials on the streaming service. But now, his comments are stirring up more controversy than any other Netflix production before it. You said you want a safe working environment at Netflix. Well, it seems like I'm the only one that can't go to the office anymore. And Squid Game represents Netflix's big push into international programming. But in a lot of ways, it exposes some of Netflix's shortcomings when it comes to translating their content for the world. Netflix wants to be the place that has something for everyone to watch. But what's the cost when what we're watching might cause real-world harm? This was the scene outside of Netflix last week. Dozens of employees walked out of the headquarters in protest of Dave Chappelle's special, The Closer. Zoe Schiffer is a senior reporter at The Verge who covers labor and workplace organizing. She covered the protests last week, and I called her up to talk about what happened. People gave these really emotional speeches. We had a mix of trans employees coming forward and talking about their experience, helping to shape Netflix over the past few years and really feeling like they'd made progress and being pretty devastated with the recent events, feeling like the company had showed its true colors and perhaps showed that it didn't care about them as a trans employee as much as they had expected. We are not through. We are here and we are not going anywhere. And so it is our purpose and it is our by design that we hold these places accountable. Because how can you how can you house 
queer narratives, queer movies, and all the things that uplift us, but then turn around and provide space to harm us. And then we heard from parents of trans youth, and they were really talking about the difficulty of having a child who's trans, who, even though they're growing up in a household with a lot of acceptance, are confronted with a lot of hate speech on the internet day in, day out, just because of their identity. We have a trans daughter, and I don't think, I'm not completely worried about her in this state, in this city, but if we live somewhere else, I'd be I'd be more terrified. And I, I'm still terrified here of what's going to happen. And I think both groups were kind of speaking to the fact that content like Dave Chappelle's comedy special really give people license to mock the trans community, to speak to them in ways that you would never speak to someone you love and respect. And driving home that idea that I guess this content to them isn't neutral. It does result in harm to the trans community. This isn't his first special. This isn't the first special where he even faced backlash for comments about LGBTQ communities. What made this controversy so much bigger? Yeah, so it's a good question because the jokes have been made in the past. Sticks and Stones, his special before this, was also quite controversial. This one, employees, I think, felt like it kind of crossed a line that hadn't been crossed before. But there was also the issue that trans employees have been meeting with Netflix executives for years and trying to educate them about what transphobic content looks like, what it is. And they really felt like they'd raised those concerns this time ahead of time and I think expected to be listened to. And in fact, executives really stood by Chappelle. They really stood by the special. They moved forward with it kind of despite the warnings internally. Could you break down how the backlash and controversy escalated internally? So there was a meeting between executives and employees. Employees are able to say, hey, we think this is transphobic. We think it's problematic. We're worried about the special going up. The special goes up anyway. And that same week, Tara Field, the software engineer who's a trans woman, posted a very viral tweet thread about the issue saying these were her problems with the special. It really punches down at the LGBTQ community. And she specifically says, look, we're not offended. We feel like this could lead to real world violence. That tweet thread goes incredibly viral. It leads to a lot of conversations internally. And Field is subsequently suspended from Netflix. The company says this is because she tried to attend this director level meeting that she wasn't supposed to. Um, But internally, people felt like perhaps it was retaliation for her speaking up. There's a bunch of backlash for her suspension. She's reinstated. And then employees start planning the walkout while executives at the company are still saying, look, we stand by the special. It's not coming down. His previous special was the most popular standup we've ever produced. Like, this isn't going anywhere. Then the company fires the trans employee resource group leader who was helping to organize the walkout. This is a person named B. And this is a Black person, non-binary, 33 weeks pregnant, I believe. They said that this individual had leaked internal metrics to Bloomberg, but the employee themselves is disputing that fact. Netflix eventually did walk back the suspension of Tara Field and two other employees. Why did they do that? Like, Is there an indication as to like why they walked that back and didn't reinstate the employee B? Yeah, so I'll tell you what Netflix says. They said they investigated the issue and they found that at least with Tara, she didn't have ill intent in trying to attend the meeting. 
What I know from my reporting is that even the suspension was a little bit suspicious. Tara had asked for the link to the meeting in a public Slack channel, and she'd received the link to that meeting from a director at the company. So she was not hiding the fact that she was trying to go to it. She didn't have ill intent in trying to attend according to her. And it was very public what she was doing. But in contrast, you know, Netflix takes leaks extremely seriously. The leaks that had gone to Bloomberg related to how many people watched the special, how much it took to make, were highly, highly unusual. Netflix has this like very transparent internal culture, but it only functions if everything stays inside the company's walls. And I think they're extremely worried that now metrics are leaking externally. So according to the company, They say that B was the only person that had access to these metrics and they leaked them externally. But what I'm hearing from employees is that they really don't think that happened. B did have access to the metrics and they did share them internally, but they did not leak them externally, according to them and their allies. B is a Black employee and is, to date, the only person that's been fired. I've seen some sort of implication that this might also have to do with race, something that Netflix is also being criticized more largely about their treatment of their employees of color. What are you hearing on that end? So this is one thing that employees were talking about very openly yesterday. They're making the point that while a lot of the public faces of the trans ERG are white women, white trans women, the people who they're really nervous about this content impacting are Black trans women, who they feel like are especially vulnerable to real-world violence. And I think they don't think it's an accident that the only person that's been fired is a Black trans non-binary person at Netflix. For sure. It's interesting because this issue gets kind of conflated with like these larger cultural conversations around cancel culture. But I think what employees are saying is, look, the only person who's truly been canceled here is B, not Chappelle. So the Netflix employees are asking for a number of things. It's not that they necessarily want the special to come down, but they do have a list of demands. Could you tell me a few of those things that are on that list? Yeah, absolutely. So yes, as you said, they've been really careful to say our demand is not that the special come down. I think because they're trying to walk the line between not making this a conversation around censorship and hate speech. But what they want is to be brought into conversations about potentially transphobic content earlier so that they really have a say. And what they've said is that that used to happen more in the past and it really didn't happen this time. They want to make sure it happens in the future. They want And this is a big ask for them. They want Netflix to invest in trans creatives and specifically Black trans creatives. They want more Black trans leadership at Netflix internally so those people are in the room and have a voice in the conversation. And they want posters and paraphernalia related to potentially transphobic content taken down from inside the office so employees aren't confronted with it during their workday. So that's like, okay, if there's a poster for The Closer, they don't necessarily want that to be the first thing up. Another thing I saw on that list that they want are possible trigger warnings or labels that say that like this could contain hate speech. Is there a precedent for that already at Netflix? Are they already doing any of that? Yeah, that has happened in the past. And I believe that this is something that the trans ERG pushed. They had wanted a warning ahead of potentially transphobic content. And I believe that there were instances in the past when, again, they were able to have some input on the content and it did receive that warning label. And what's been the response from Netflix to all of this? So it's changed a little bit. I would say initially Ted Sarandos was very, very clear. We stand by the special. It's not coming down. He said things like Sticks and Stones was the most popular comedy special we've ever released. We're already seeing that the closer is highly popular with our audience as well. Essentially like 
our Netflix customers really like it. We're sorry if you're offended by it, but it's staying up and we're not budging on it. Ahead of the walkout, we started to see some kind of walking back of those statements. Um, the executives released a statement saying that they would not, you know, penalize anyone who wanted to participate. They didn't quite come out with like full-throated support of the walkout, but they've said things like, we do encourage employees to speak up. We're happy people are voicing their discontent and we want to have an open conversation. They did also host a town hall meeting that got pretty emotional, but I think um, there were some good conversations happening internally where employees were really able to push executives on how these decisions were made. And before they walked back, Ted Sarandos, who is one of the CEOs of Netflix, he made comments that he didn't believe that the, the special meant to incite hate and violence. That was something that a lot of people took issue with. My question is, is there an indication that they know that? Like, is there some sort of research that Netflix is doing? Is there some sort of criteria that they apply I know that Netflix does a ton of research on how people interact with the platform, what sort of search terms they're looking for and what movies surface as a result of that. But I don't personally know of research that they do about how their content affects real world violence. And as you've said, Ted Sarando said very clearly, like, we don't think that there is a direct link between those two things. What we heard from speakers at the walkout yesterday is that they take a lot of issue with that statement in particular. And they said things like personal anecdotes that they've had people come up and kind of quote Chappelle to them as they're being harassed on the speech. So to employees, this is not a neutral issue. So the Netflix employees are not asking for the closer to be taken down, but there have been calls from other protesters and calls on social media for the special to be taken off of Netflix. But Netflix does kind of have a precedent for taking stuff down. An episode of Hassan Minaj's The Patriot Act was pulled when the Saudi Arabian government said something about it. So it's not as though Netflix like never does this. What rises to the occasion of something being pulled? What like what has to happen for the closer to actually be taken off of Netflix? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And I think that we don't know. I mean, that's really gets to the core of what employees are asking. Like, at what point does it cross the line in which we will take something down? Because as you mentioned, there is precedent for this in the past. There was a really high profile example with 13 Reasons Why, where they removed a suicide scene that had been flagged as being potentially problematic. So it's happened before. And I think employees felt quite confused about why it was not even on the table for it to happen this time. But I do think that the Bloomberg numbers provide kind of a hint. <laughs> you know, Netflix paid $24 million for the special. They have a pre-existing relationship with Chappelle in 2016. They said they were going to make six specials with him. And I think he got paid $20 million for each one at a minimum. So I think that we have a hint that Netflix has really highly invested in this relationship and it's not willing to walk away from it quite yet. So we talked a little bit about how Netflix has handled this. And Netflix in particular has a really unique culture. And I'm wondering how much of the way that we've seen this situation be handled, i.e. someone being fired for, you know, leaking numbers or something, how much of that has to do with, like, the things we see at all companies, issues with inclusivity, issues with cultural understanding, and how much of that is, like, Netflix very unique, specific culture? Some of this is kind of unsurprising in the tech industry in particular. We've seen companies really crack down lately with employee leaks, with employees speaking up. Like there's kind of a limit to what they will tolerate. It becomes this interesting scenario where we have these companies that have put themselves forward as very progressive employers, kind of drawing a line in the sand and saying, okay, if you step over this, 
you're gone. But Netflix in particular has always been very, very clear that they are not a family. They're an employer and they do something called the keeper test where employees are constantly trying to evaluate themselves that if I was to say that I was resigning, would my boss try and keep me at the company? And that's always kind of the metric that they're weighing themselves against. Netflix is very, very clear that people who they see as not performing are axed almost immediately. And so I think some of this is kind of specific to a little bit more of a cutthroat culture than we see in the rest of Silicon Valley. Netflix, I think, has positioned itself internally as a progressive company, but also like with its content, there's something seemingly for everyone, right? But I'm wondering what this incident says about the work that they still have left to do, because when it's the employee saying that actually the workplace isn't that inclusive and we feel it's being reflected in the actual content you're making, it's not just like criticism from the audience, like the people who work there. No. Yeah. I mean, I think this is a really interesting conversation to be having. Like as a reporter, one thing that's really striking me as I dive into these stories is we really haven't had a lot of content moderation conversations about Netflix in particular. We've had them about Facebook, about Twitter, about many of the other big tech organizations, but we only know what Netflix leaves up on the platform. Like it's very rare for us to even find out what movies they haven't decided to actually buy or purchase or put up. We've known with this issue in particular that they were putting forward the trans content that they do have on the platform and kind of highlighting it like, look, look what all we've done. And we did have a director of disclosure, this documentary, come forward and say, yes, they bought the movie, but they only paid half of what it cost to make. And so I think some of those issues become very, very interesting because we just don't have a lot of insight into how Netflix makes these decisions. And after the break, We talk about a decision that is paying off for Netflix. Let the game begin. Green light. Red light. Squid Game is a huge surprise hit for Netflix. They didn't anticipate the show reaching hundreds of millions of subscribers in hundreds of countries. Although the series was originally produced in Korean language for South Korean audiences, the worldwide phenomena of the show is undeniable. Memes of the red light, green light doll are all over the internet, and I am sure we'll see an army of Squid Game tracksuits, jumpsuits, and masks this Halloween weekend. You can't always tell why a show goes mega viral like this, but I have some ideas. The show has an ensemble cast with enough quirky characters that it never gets boring. It's a battle royale, and it has these anti-capitalist themes that really resonate with a lot of people. But Squid Game is also hyper-violent and deals with complicated questions around class, inequality, and racism. Class and income disparity are huge themes that are explored in the show. Sharon Kwan is a social worker and psychotherapist. She wrote a great piece for Slate about the cultural inaccuracies in the Squid Game English translation. South Korea, which is a country of 52 million, it's very homogenous with 99% identifying as ethnically Korean. And the 1% includes foreigners who immigrate to Korea to work the factories and fields and send money back home to their families. And like most foreigners and immigrants, they're othered with nearly a third of South Koreans saying that they don't want foreigners or migrants as their neighbors, and two-thirds believing that employers should hire Koreans first in times of high unemployment. And this was illustrated in the scenes where Ali, an immigrant, is exploited by the Koreans' hajang or boss, 
at his work in a factory, which ultimately motivates him to risk his life to take part in the games. Give me the wages you owe. Damn it, go and ask the rest of my employees if they got their paychecks yet. I can't pay anyone until I get the cash. You said you would pay us. Where did it all go? Six Come whole on. months and nothing for all our hard work out there. Ali quickly became a lot of people's favorite character. Just look up Justice for Ali on Twitter and you'll see people lamenting the way he went out on the show. Ali is supposed to be red as one of the show's few non-Korean characters. He's a Pakistani immigrant, played by Indian actor Anupam Tripathi. And Sharon says one of the main ways the Squid Game's translation misses the mark happens when Ali starts to make friends with Song Woo and Jihan, the show's main characters. Honorifics and titles are very important in Korea. We almost never call each other by name and refer to each other by our title based on our relationship. The only people we call by our name are people who are younger than us. And you'll never call someone older than you or an acquaintance by their name. Like, for example, my younger brother has never called me by my name. I'm always just Nuna to him, which means older sister, even though for me, I've always called it by his name. As the games begin and the players get acquainted with each other, Ali, he calls all of his peers Hajangnim, which is really a title that's used to refer to like a CEO or the boss of a company or even just small business, basically any business owner. And Netflix just translates this to sir. And I really believe this minimizes the impact because Ali is basically declaring that he's inferior compared to the rest of the characters. So as the games progress and the alliances are formed, Kihan and Sangwoo, you can visibly see them become uncomfortable because Ali keeps calling them his boss. And so at one point, they tell him that neither of them are bosses and to stop calling them that. And so that's how Sangwoo and Ali come to the conclusion that Ali should call Sangwoo Hyung, which means older brother. Um, and that's a title that's typically reserved for close friends and only really allowed when the older person tells the younger person to, you know, stop calling me any fancy title and you can just refer to me as Kyung. So calling Sangwoo Hyung really signifies a new relationship that's based on friendship and brotherhood. But in the English translation, Ali just starts to call Sangwoo by his name, not the honorific title. And so that makes Sangwoo's ultimate betrayal that much more of a shock and that much more heartbreaking. And Sangwoo's desperate scramble to lie and cheat for money, even if being the boss means getting blood on his hands, really illustrates the pitfalls of capitalism, which I think Netflix translations subtly but pretty significantly de-emphasizes. There's another example with the character Han Minyo. She's kind of the comic relief in the show. She says whatever she wants, and she doesn't seem to be afraid of anything. There's a scene in episode six where the participants are pairing up for the next game. And as Han Minyo is pleading her case to the other players, she says, I know how to call just about anybody I see. I'm not a genius, but I still got it where it counts. Huh? But according to some critics who lit up the internet, the translation is something closer to, I'm very smart, I just never got the chance to study. And that's important because it's a huge trope in Korean pop culture. The smart person who happens to be poor. Think street smart. The other glaring example also comes from episode six. And it's the meaning behind the episode title itself. Which is Gangbu. And Netflix didn't even try to translate this at all which I understand because it's a word that is pretty rare even among Koreans. I think people under 40 probably never heard of this word. 
Um, I had to call my aunt and ask her what it was because I, I didn't know either. So the very mysterious and the terminally ill player one calls his closest ally, Kion Gangbu. You and I are Gangbu now. And he explains to him that this is the friend in your neighborhood who you share your marbles and play games with. Gangbu, come on, you know, it's a good friend, one who you trust a lot. And Netflix actually omits the, his entire next sentence completely when he says, which means there's no yours or mine, which really means, you know, we are one. And I think this really downplays the importance of this relationship because in essence, a gangbu is like a child's ride or die in game land. And this really comes full circle in the final moments of the last episode when... You know, in another crazy twist, player one's real identity is revealed. And, you know, don't want to give too much away, but when player one's identity was revealed, the message that I got was that life and people aren't black and white. And it really added another dimension to the show, which, again, I think is what makes it a work of art instead of just senseless violence. I asked Sharon why this happens. Why Netflix would choose to use sir instead of another word to convey boss, or why they would just completely cut out sentences. And some of it has to do with the accuracy of the dubbing process. The translation needs to look like the character is actually saying it. Netflix hires these voice actors who work out of the studio. They watch the scenes they're dubbing and try to line up the words and emotions with what the character is actually saying. So if it looks like the character only said four words, no matter how complicated the actual translation is, it needs to look like it translates to just four words. Another reason? Translators are tired. As I was doing research, I did come across a lot of translators who really highlighted the stress that they have, like the deadlines that they have to deal with, and almost like they're in a factory just kind of translating everything as fast as they can. And so I think that lends to a lot of errors or to a lot of like cutting corners, you know, just trying to rush things. So, if you watch the dub version, you might walk away with a different take on the show than if you were watching, let's say, the subtitles. So, the translations are one thing. But I have to say, when I was watching Squid Game, the character I felt most uncomfortable about was Ali. I understood that he was an immigrant and that he was supposed to be the good, earnest guy to contrast with characters like Song Wu. But honestly, the whole thing felt a little racist. The way the character was treated, but also the way the character was written. He comes off a lot more subservient than the other characters. And since the translation is all in English, we miss the fact that Ali isn't speaking his native language. So when he asks questions like what training camp means, he just comes off as a little dumb and naive. I asked Sharon about this, how we're supposed to feel about Ali. Most Koreans have never seen a foreigner in their entire life. And so I think Ali's character really represents the lowest class in most societies, which is the working class immigrant. And throughout the show, he's exploited over and over and over again in real life and also in the games. But he continues to bow down, call everyone's hajang name, and he really tries to live very earnestly and humbly. And he sees himself as inferior, and I think they treat him that way as such. So I think the director's use of this character 
I think it serves to educate people that the dominant race in any culture, you know, you think you have it bad, there are people out there who have it worse. One of my biggest personal issues with Korea in that I do find um, the population itself can get pretty racist. And I think that's because it's so homogenous. They're not used to anybody else. And when they are exposed to somebody new, it's that sense of like, you know, who are you? What are you doing here? This is our country. I think that really reflects the sentiment that a lot of Koreans harbor. And that I think, you know, you can kind of say that for any culture with a dominant race. Netflix is investing a lot of money to make sure people all over the world can watch their programming and see themselves reflected. This year, they're investing $500 million in Korean programming alone. And so with Netflix investing more money into international programming, they're positioning themselves as cultural ambassadors in a way by introducing millions of people to content they wouldn't otherwise have access to. I asked Sharon how they could do all of this responsibly. Netflix should assume that the audience wants to know as much about the culture as they can. You know, I think that especially in something as violent and, you know, as viscerally violent as Squid Game and in a time when anti-Asian hate crimes are at an all-time high, events in Atlanta was not that long ago, you know, in this kind of world, Cultural context is so important because otherwise it might give off the wrong message that violence towards Asians is okay. And so I think they have a responsibility to the audience, to the creators, to the people affected that they need to really pay attention to the accuracy and nuance of the language and the meaning that the creator was trying to evoke. And when we're talking about violence, Squid Game is obviously a very violent show, but most of the violence is happening to characters who are South Korean, right? And um, particularly, I think, for Americans and other audiences outside of South Korea, I think folks are desensitized to these like images of violence. That was one of the things that I walked away from it, that I wasn't for sure that if this were a, a series and on the first episode... 200 white people were like mowed down. I don't know if it would have the same popularity. I think the think pieces would be completely different, right? And so I'm wondering, do you think that people are desensitized to these images of violence because it is happening to people that don't look like them? You know, there were many points when the show got really uncomfortable for me. You know, I felt pretty traumatized and addicted at the same time. And I had a very visceral reaction to it and had a hard time falling asleep. And I really had to limit myself to an episode a night because it was too much for me. And maybe that's because I was seeing people like me get slaughtered. You know, I wonder if other people, non-Koreans, felt the same way. Because for me, it was really hard to watch. And I also wonder, like, because people are so desensitized, is that why the images and the, the scenes of death were so crazy? The images were so creative. And I wonder if that was an intent for the creator to provide some sort of shock value to wake people up. With all of this, it can be hard to tell whether it's okay to enjoy Squid Game. That's a question that I also ask myself throughout, you know, and 
Again, that's why it felt traumatizing and addicting at the same time. I think it's okay to like Squid Game because I think it really highlights what's going on in the world right now in a way that is very visceral and shocking. And also this concept isn't new. There's been like Battle Royale, Hunger Games. People love watching these kinds of shows where the hopeless and the destitute, like they have to fight for the chance to, you know, win it all. By the numbers, Netflix just had a huge month. And they'll probably keep growing and keep offering us what feels like unlimited stuff to watch. But there is a cost to their growth. And I guess we'll have to wait to see if it's all worth it. And that's it for us today. I'm Bridget Armstrong, host and senior producer of the show. But none of this will be possible without the great team I work with. The show's producer is Alicia Key. Andrew Calloway is our senior engineer. Our director of audio is Graylin Brashear. Big thanks to Zoe Schiffer and Sharon Kwan for joining us. And thanks to Rachel Lee and Sarah Hong for your help this week. If you like what you heard, be sure to rate, subscribe, and tell a friend. And we'll see you right here next week.